This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am speaking with Robin Gabriels, who is a professor of psychiatry at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. She is also a licensed clinical psychologist, and she's with us today, and she's going to share with us some really exciting information from some research she's been doing. Dr. Gabriels, good morning, and thank you for being on the show. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, we always like to use this uh, this show as, an, as a platform to share interesting work that's being done throughout the country and sometimes even the world in the field of autism. And my colleague Melanie and I are always looking for, you know, interesting research, positive outcomes, good questions, programs. Uh, sometimes I interview people from Anderson who are being highlighted for various reasons. So your work really fits right into what we're trying to do with this show here and, and broaden people's awareness of, of all of the interesting things that are going on within the field. Why don't we start today, though, by you giving us a little background about who you are, both from your education and your your career, as well as whether you have any personal connections to autism, which may have led you in this direction that you're that you're on now. Sure. I, I do my clinical work at uh, Children's Hospital Colorado, and I have about 30 years experience working with children and families and particularly with kids with autism, at least 25 years experience. I am also an autism researcher and sort of fell into the therapeutic horseback riding research area because there was an initial donor for at Children's Hospital who gave some money to study therapeutic horseback riding, which I had been basically doing uh, autism treatment outcome research and um, was encouraged to apply, but I didn't really, I don't come from that human animal interaction uh, research background, uh, at least in the past. So that was in about 2008. So we started a study. It was a little pilot and had about 42 subjects with autism, kids ages 6 to 16, at a writing center that was PATH International Certified Writing Center, which I was very happy to know that they had standards of practice in the field Mm -hmm. for these writing centers. So let's just stop there for a quick minute so our listeners understand. Can you just explain briefly what what that means, that they were a PATH, they had a PATH program, that that they were already working with or or providing um, opportunities for people with autism was not new to this particular writing program, correct? Correct. So PATH International is a, um, it's an organization that maintains the standards of practice for these writing, therapeutic writing centers. And if you're a premier site, that means you're, you have a site visit by them every five years. And um, they're looking at standards of practice in terms of working with kids with special needs, the maintenance of the horses as well, and horse safety, as well as volunteers. So there's, there's a pretty, pretty rigorous uh, structure which is great for a researcher who wants to, you know, do research in the field. Right. I would think it it at least helps a little bit with some of those things that that you would want to look to control to some degree, right? (laughs) Especially with horses, you know, animals and children and, you know, outdoors and all that can get, you know, be difficult, I would think. So I just wanted to establish what that was. And I'll please uh, continue about um, how how it started. Sure. So we did uh, this little pilot, two-year pilot study. And we had uh, 42 kids, like I said, and then we had uh, at the, at the very end, we added about uh, 15 kids in a waitlist control. And in that study, 10 weeks, so it was a 10-week therapeutic riding. They would come up to the riding ses- center. They would ride 
he tries for 45 minutes and then to do 15 minutes of grooming. Your group is uh, aware of the um, horseback riding, but the center basically has, um, each child has a sidewalker, so each side of the horse and then uh, leading the horse, depending on the experience of the rider. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very safe, and just that one hour a week for 10 weeks in a row, learning horsemanship skills, learning about the horse and riding skills. Um, kids with autism, who those kids who rode for that 10 weeks, we test them right before and then right after. And we had significant improvements or decreases in irritability and hyperactivity and even compared to the to the weightless control. So we had some pilot data to then um, at that time, it happened, it was sort of synchronicity, but we, NIH, had a um, their first time uh, announcement to study well to study human animal interaction, and there was a public private partnership that was that started that announcement, which was with uh, Mars Lawson Corporation, and they uh, provided funding for NIH to to make that announcement. So we applied, and because we had some great results and some solid pilot data, um, got a, a an R01 five year. Award so that sent us on this this trail so to speak yeah. and we we did a five year study and um, and that that study was published in 2015 and we we had a it was a randomized control trial where we had the same age group ages six to sixteen kids with autism we confirmed the diagnosis with um, the gold standard measures of of autism mm-hmm. and. The kids uh, who rode for that 10 weeks were compared to a barn activity control group. And that group um, was uh, went up to the riding center. They had no contact directly with horses. And they learned the exact same things that the kids in the riding group did in terms of, you know, horse emotions, how to brush the horse, all of those, those things that the other kids were learning while they were riding. But um, And they also had this... They each had a volunteer assigned to each child so that we were controlling for attention as well. And we had a giant stuffed horse in the barn activity group. Mm-hmm. So they would, you know, practice brushing the horse. We'd put baby powder on the horse. And, and so compared to the, after the 10 weeks, we had a, we had 100 and, 127 kids in the group. The kids that actually completed this, the study, uh, we had 116. That was 58 in the in the therapeutic writing group and 58 in the control group. And compared to the control, the, the kids who rode actually had significant improvements in uh, decreases in irritability and hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. And all that started at about week five, which which hmm. is interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the barn group also had a, a beginning to uh, decrease, but since we, but then they started to level off, and we didn't have a control for the barn group, so that so we can't say anything about you know whether the barn group had you know any impact or not. Oftentimes, when kids enter studies or people are in studies, there's that placebo effect that it's you know exciting to be in a study and everybody reports right. doing well. Something's going to happen exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, but then, so that was they were tested right before they were arrived, within that month before, and then within a month after writing both groups. And so that, those measures of the irritability and hyperactivity were parent report. But, but what I found most interesting, we had a speech therapist that didn't know what group the kids were assigned to, and she did a, a standardized language sample before they wrote and after mm-hmm. at the end of the 10 weeks and found that the kids who wrote actually spoke more words and, and more new words during the language sample. Hmm. And um, and significantly so. And then the other improvements in the therapy writing group were significant improvements in social communication and social cognition. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a parent report. So 
this was the first large-scale randomized trial we proving the you know showing the efficacy of with this age group of therapeutic writing and as you know a lot of kids with families are seeking any kind of treatment that can particularly impact irritability yes and a lot of families are are looking at therapeutic writing but we don't really know why or how it's working mm-hmm. okay but your study is showing at least some positive signs that it, it does seem to have an effect so now i guess the Absolutely. next natural question would be why probably going to be no different when i have some follow-up questions <laughs> so we have to take a short break in a couple minutes but let me start with this one just just to clarify when you say that 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 testing was done before and and just after the experiences both in the first study and then the longer study or the larger study was, was there any testing done to look at a lasting effect like maybe several yes. months later or a year yes. later. Okay. Yeah. And- so that's what our our more recent paper that just came out in June showed that the uh, or July that the um, the long term effects. So we looked at these kids six months after they wrote. The kids who came back for this um, this part of the study were kids who had chosen not to ride uh, or engage in therapeutic horseback riding for six months. And uh, we had about 44% of that sample so come back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the kids who rode, we, we compared the kids who rode versus the kids who, so we had 36 kids who rode and then, and then 28 kids who uh, had the control group. And when we compared them on this measure of irritability hyperactivity, the kids who rode actually had maintained their significant um, decreases in irritability. Interesting. Uh, which is remarkable. And yeah. Well, it, it's, however, it, it, yeah. it, mm-hmm. it brings to light, I mean, I don't have experience, certainly not with therapeutic riding. I have been around horses. I've ridden horses, mm-hmm. but no, you know, no more than a few trail rides and lessons when I was younger. But I, I just anecdotally, you know, I'm one of those, I, I, I do see relationships between animals and people is there's there's something obviously there. I mean, why would we have domesticated animals if we if there wasn't something that felt good about, you know, to a lot of us about having an interaction with an animal? Do you have thoughts as to why something that seems to me as a layperson to be so in the moment relationshipy, for lack of a better word, that you're touching the horse, you're feeling the the emotions and the and this and the muscles of the horse and then their horse is responding to what you're doing? What would be some reason why there would be a lasting effect, especially for a child who hadn't ridden? in six months uh, after that initial study. What, what could have been going on there? Is there brain cha- changes in the brain that are actually happening and then, and then lasting afterwards? My hypothesis is that, um, and a lot of time in the, in the, so the history of human-animal interaction research, it's historically focused on this reduction of anxiety and mm-hmm. stress, making it an ideal target for some physiological measurement. And that's where we want to go next is measuring to see if, if kids actually, in fact, over that 10 weeks begin to um, to show some physiological signs like heart rate variability and galvanic skin response and cortisol reductions to see if that that would explain the outcomes that we that we um, observe. You know, there's there's been this long time theory that if you're calm, you're able to access the skills that you actually have. Mm. So rather than magically, you know, directly teaching language, although there is a lot of language that hits with autism when they're riding, learn, you know, they're learning to, to tell the horse to, to go and to, to woe and stop and getting that cause and effect learning experience mm-hmm. right there, which, you know, is also important to think about. But is, are they better able to access because they're, they're maintaining a sense of almost like mindfulness mm-hmm. and, 
and then able to access. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. For the 1 in 59 diagnosed with autism, there are certainly challenges, but experiencing the highest quality of life possible should not be one of them. Here at Anderson Center for Autism, we've spent the better part of the last century helping people enjoy productive, rewarding lives and helping families enjoy peace of mind. We use evidence-based practices in our classrooms, residences, vocational training programs, and out in the community. For all of us at Anderson, every moment is a teaching moment. And at the heart of every moment, every milestone, and every breakthrough is a human-to-human connection, the kind of connection that nurtures and motivates. As we work to optimize the quality of life for people with autism, we know that the quality of life of our residents and students is directly linked to the quality of their relationships. When they realize just how much the people around them care and believe in their potential, that's when the doors open wide to a bright future ahead. At Anderson, we love opening those doors. Learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking today with Robin Gabriels. Uh, she's a professor of psychiatry at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and also a licensed clinical psychologist and uh, doing her clinical work at Children's Hospital Colorado. And today we're talking about a really interesting uh, group of studies that you've been involved in, Dr. Gabriels, regarding therapy to horseback riding and, um, and children on the autism spectrum. So just to pick up our, where we left off before the break, can you continue to give us a sense of why why horses? What is it about the interaction that you observed and that many of us can kind of imagine that goes on between a rider and a horse that, that might be helping to lead to these positive outcomes that you've been able to report thus far? Certainly. Uh, I just want to just, just briefly highlight that kids with autism have a variety of impairments that are potentially linked to this emotion dysregulation issue that they have. It's very common, and and some of this can be addressed with therapeutic writing, like the difficulties with joint attention skills or maintaining and shared attention with a social partner, so like a horse or or any other kind of of animal, which we we, um, still need to explore, like dogs, and also the social cognition, being able to accurately evaluate others' intentions. So when you're riding a horse, you know, you need to know you need to be able to read them and read their body movement. And and pragmatic language uh, skills are difficult with kids with autism, having a hard time effectively communicating and understanding that, you know, if, if I say something, it's it's very important and I need to say it in a, cer- in a certain way. And, and having this horse respond is a great learning experience, the cause and effect learning experience. Um, another area that's impaired is are issues of hypo or hyper sensory reactivity and uh, executive functioning skills, ability to, you know, kind of apply rules flexibly or, or initiate activities and figure out how to how to move your horse around certain obstacles. So this sensory social motivation experience may be uh, what the horseback riding is, is, you know, what's part of that, that experience that's helping these kids regulate better and decrease their anxiety or irritability. The you know, the horse being on the horse the, the the task of having to maintain your your balance on the horse and the adjust adjustments you have to make the warmth of the horse's body all of those things keep you present and alert which is that kind of mindfulness um, state that that people specifically target in treatment sometimes the joint attention skills mm-hmm. are um, addressed with you know the activities that that they have to you know initiate 
shared attention with the horse, and that's their social partner, so to speak, and initiate movements and figuring out how to work together to, to solve a problem in the arena. And the social cognition, pragmatic language are things like, you know, like I said, effectively communicating and, um, and emotion regulation. I mean, these kids know they learn very quickly that they need to stay calm with their body and use their eye gaze in verbal directions to get the horse to respond. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful learning experience, I think. You know, definitely one that particularly captures kids with autism. And um, I know Temple Grandin has talked mm-hmm. a lot about her experience riding horses and how it, it taught her a lot about being a social partner with that horse and an understanding and really paying paying attention to the needs of someone of, of another being. Absolutely. And also, by and large, another being that, that physically is is most of the time going to be much larger than that child, right. um, which I would think, and again, I'm, I'm a layperson here, so I'm throwing things out there just because they're occurring to me as you talk, but I would think that you may have seen some empowerment and confidence. And I'm also linking that to what you said before about using eye gaze. And I remember the couple of lessons that I did take when I was a younger kid. One of the things that my teachers had said to me is that, you know, it's sort of like a, a bike, like you, you look where you want to go. And Correct. the horse is amazing at being able to pick up on something that you're not, you know, well, the horse isn't looking at me. Well, it doesn't really work like that. It's sort of what your whole body does when you just look in a certain direction. And they're very good at picking up on those cues. So we talk a lot in the field of autism about eye contact. And for so many uh, people on the spectrum, eye contact can can be uncomfortable. Sometimes people say it's actually painful. It, it can be something that a lot of people on the spectrum tend to want to avoid if they can. Um, and we're not really talking about eye contact necessarily with the horse, but we all are talking about the the power of using one's eye gaze to communicate something. So there's just something there that keeps coming back to me like that. That had to be very interesting, I would think, for you and your team as you're looking at this, that it's a different way of looking at the at the at that particular skill and, and seeing and, and in, that, in that cause and effect kind of way that, you know, just by looking in a certain direction, you don't have to look at the, the horse, you don't have to look at another person, but just by looking at a certain direction, you're getting that horse to respond to you. So right. I feel like there's huge implications here. And, and I'd love for you to, um, I, I I think I also want to clarify, just as a sidebar, um, for anybody who's wondering, the, did the, the the children who were in the study who were the riders, did they always come and ride the same horse for those weeks that they were in the program? Yes. So um, that was the aim. And then, of course, you know, things happen with horses, but yeah. uh, we kept track of that. And 83, 83% of the sample rode the same horse okay. for the full 10 weeks. So that was that was important for us to know, too. But what you're talking about was the eye contact. Yeah. It is, you know, they are looking in the direction they're behind the horse, you know, of course, on top, you know, riding the horse, but looking in the direction. And that is very uh, much like what you what we think about in teaching joint attention skills with this group that they they have to think about paying attention to where they want to look where they want the horse to go and it's it's such a, a subtle but but powerful experience where they're they're getting that that immediate feedback of this large animal that's going in the direction where they're looking it's a great you know powerful reinforcement cause and effect learning experience that mm-hmm. wow you know this is eye contact is very important and this is why 
It's getting this giant horse to move. Exactly. And when you think about it, human to human eye contact, you know, we, we often focus on, you know, looking deeply into somebody's eyes and seeing, you know, their soul or whatever, however, you know, people want to put it in the movies or in a, in a book. But the reality is also that you do tend to have those same sort of body cues that change when you look at somebody. And we're not always reading everything from the eyes. We're just reading the whole vibe from that person um, when they when they utilize their eyes in that way. So I think there's a lot of interesting analogies here. We're, we're, we're running low on time. I'd love to have you share with us any thoughts about the future. Do you intend to keep studying this, broaden it out, look at uh, different age groups or longer periods of time? You know, what, what's the future of, of therapeutic horseback riding and, and your research? That's a great question. We are, we have looked at the this large sample that we originally studied with the randomized trial, and the kids who rode who had autism only, and we and then we also had a, about half of those kids had autism and a psychiatric diagnosis. Oh, and the kids who had a psychiatric diagnosis actually had better outcomes and more of those outcomes. Hmm. And so what we want to do now is narrow the scope and focus in and say, you know. Uh, just let's look at this age group, six sixteen, with kids who have autism and psychiatric diagnoses, which is very common. Uh, it's highly prevalent in in kids with autism. Yes, and it goes along with this whole irritability piece because kids who are who have autism and, and psychiatric diagnoses are typically fairly irritable, and they receive a lot of intervention and and sometimes medication, psychiatric medications, and the idea would be. If we can just target that group and see if you know, we can get some even more significant outcomes as well as looking at the, the mechanisms. How does it work to get those outcomes? How are, we, how are we seeing increases in language and social and decreases in hyperactivity and irritability? Can we have some physiological measurement tools to explain that? And remember I said about week five was when we saw that significant decline in irritability that um, looking at the mechanisms, maybe testing them, you know, doing, uh, having the kids wear heart rate and galvanic skin response monitors throughout the writing period, but testing them at baseline and then maybe at week five around that time and then at week 10 to see if, you know, what's happening in the, in the middle is really going to be able to explain those outcomes that we, that we got and also looking at cortisol. So we've, we're actually doing uh, feasibility pilot uh, right now, thanks to uh, the Maryland Simons Foundation, uh, gave us some funding because the big question is, can you actually get accurate physiological data while they're riding on a horse? <laughs> and uh, so, so we we have. It looks like it looks very encouraging. Good. Um, we're not finished yet. We're we're also hoping to work with a site in. Um, I'm in Colorado, but we're hoping to work with a site in Portland, Maine. To, um, because they're right down the street from a psychiatric hospital for kids with autism, mm. and which will give us an even you know more targeted focus on that group. Well, that sounds exciting, and and you're, I, I we experience the th- same thing when we um, we see a lot of children diagnosed with autism and a dual diagnosis with a psychiatric diagnosis, and and often and uh, you know it's just just anecdotally it's it's also good to hear that you're looking at that particular population because I think often it's very difficult for service providers to figure out what to do. There are various interventions. Some are very specific to autism only. Some are very specific to the psychiatric aspect of the diagnosis. 
symbiosis. When you combine the two, it can get a little difficult to see what's what's sort of rearing itself at that given moment. Maybe you know when somebody's having a challenging behavior or uh, going into some level of crisis. And and I agree, there's a lot of advancement in modern medicine, and there's tremendous number of of medications that can be looked at. But but you know medications aren't warm and fuzzy and relationship building too. So I think that it's I always you know that it's great to be looking at all aspects. So your research sounds really interesting. I wish you the best and continued success in what you're finding. If somebody was listening and wanting to wanting to follow your research or be able to read more about it, is there a place that they could go to get to get some more information? They can go to I mean if they just want to type my name and the, you, the my studies will come up in my PubMed. So that's yeah. Robin Gabriels. It's R-O-B-I-N-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-S, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. And and maybe combine that with Colorado or something and you'll probably find you. Um, right. So I would encourage people to do that. Hospital Colorado or University of Colorado. Right. Great. Right. Well, I wish you all the best of luck in the future and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing what you found so far. Um, I certainly hope that it continues to show uh, signs of success. Thanks for your interest. All right. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 